Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Please consider supporting Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Well, hey there, it's Zach, all the way from Chesapeake, Virginia. Creative Control happens to be my favorite podcast. I value Visha's insight and his ability to balance humor with in-depth conversation while occasionally dipping into serious topics. Regardless of whether I've heard of the guest or not, or however long Visha's known them, you really do get the feeling that the two of them have known each other for a long time, and I walk away from every episode feeling like I gained something. I think that's testament to how good of a journalist and conversationalist Visha is. He has a real skill of opening people up. I also enjoy the spicy and lighthearted ribbing Bish does with his guests from time to time. Oh, and while I have you, did you know that for just $6, you can subscribe to the Creative Control Patreon and get access to all kinds of bonus content? And for $10, Bish will mail you one of his t-shirts. And hey, that peachy shirt is pretty cool. Anyway, enjoy the episode and do do doo do Oh, wait. Alison Russell is a powerful and award-winning Canadian musician, songwriter, singer, poet, activist, and writer who is currently based in Nashville, Tennessee. Originally from Montreal, Quebec, Russell first turned heads as a member of bands like Poe Girl and Birds of Chicago, who each recorded and toured extensively since the beginning of this century. On May 21st, 2021, Russell's reflective and harrowing solo debut, Outside Child, was released on Fantasy Records, and her life changed forever. The universally acclaimed record was nominated for three Grammy Awards and won awards for the Junos Contemporary Roots Album of the Year, the 2022 Americana Music Association's Album of the Year, and multiple prizes from the likes of the International Folk Music, Canadian Folk Music, and UK Americana Music Award organizations. 
After a whirlwind of activity and attention, Russell assembled a large contingent of collaborators for a joyous week-long session that took place at the end of 2022. The result is another beautiful and markedly celebratory album called The Returner, which is out September 8th, 2023, on Fantasy Records. To celebrate The Returner, Allison and I reconvened for a talk about things like uh, time-traveling trilogies and writing a memoir laced with mythology, the lasting power of Back to the Future, and why other 80s movies don't necessarily hold up as well, assembling the Rainbow Coalition to make The Returner. The rightward shift of politics in the United States and Canada in particular, and her deep dive into the composition and misinterpretations of the Bible to further disenfranchise marginalized peoples, finding inspiration in films like The Sound of Music, and artists such as Roberta Flack, Mavis Staples, Minnie Ripperton, and Prince. Her friendship with Brandy Carlyle and their interactions and performances with Joni Mitchell. Reading us a poem that Allison wrote about Joni. Upcoming tour dates, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you, who follow and subscribe to this donor-driven podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control. That is the primary source of revenue for all the work that goes into this show each week. So if you can, if you're able and you have the time, please visit patreon.com slash creative control and support my work today. Thank you. With additional support from Blackbird Music, a wonderful record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and very friendly people who work there and will happily help you find whatever it is you're looking for if you happen to be in those stores. But you can also order things yourself online at blackbird.ca. Say you want to order yourself a copy of The Returner by Allison Russell on CD or vinyl, whatever format you like. Like I say, head over to blackbird.ca and you will be rewarded. They'll ship a record right to your house. I tell you, it's just that easy. Thanks again to Blackbird and again, visit blackbird.ca. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 799 of Creative Control, featuring the wondrously inspiring Allison Russell with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hey, Allison, how's it going? Very well. How are you doing, Vish? Nice to see you. I'm very well. It's very nice to see you again. Where in the world are you today? So I am in Chelsea, uh, sort of flat iron district near Gramercy Park in Manhattan, New York City. Doing, I've been here for three days doing promo for uh, the Returner record. So we did CBS this morning taping and a bunch of radio and photo shoots and, and lots and lots of interviews. And I signed, I don't know, about a thousand records. So yeah, I've just been getting ready, getting ready for the release. Well, congratulations on all that. As usual, uh, as someone who's followed your career for some time, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm happy for you, obviously, but I'm like, this is great. It's, it's going well. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned this because I, I was drawn to something that's in the, uh, uh, album bio that I wanted to ask you about, and it seems like a good enough time to ask you about it now. And uh, don't don't be embarrassed by the flattering words in your own album bio. 
But here's what I wanted to ask you about. Here's the quote. In all, the new album doesn't just deliver on the massive promise of the last two years. It brilliantly exceeds all reasonable and unreasonable expectations and affirms Alison Russell's place among music's most vital artists and the returner as one of 2023's most essential recordings. End quote. Now, again, I didn't say any of those things. Mm. <laughs> so I'm not trying to gush. Unreasonable. That really stuck out to me. Have you felt pressure to follow up on the success of Outside Child in any way? No, I don't. I don't really think that way. I think that's that's therein lies madness. You know, <laughs> I think we make art because we're compelled to make art, and that hasn't changed for me in twenty years. So in that sense, I'm making a record because I feel compulsion to make records. And when I set out on the I always knew Outside Child had two. It was was the first of a trilogy. And um, the trilogy, each one stands alone. But for the deep nerds like me who take the deep dive with it, they'll be happy to follow the threads between. And for those that really take all three into their hearts, they're gonna that, that will tell its own story. Um, so I always knew, you know, I've been working on, JT and I have been working on the, the returner idea for a while and um before anything really happened with outside child you know what i mean i was already thinking about the returner so it's been miraculous you know to have that set after so many years in the trenches to to be uh to sort of have these doors opened and and be on this kind of a magic carpet ride with the way that outside child was received but and I'm grateful for that, but that is an exception to the to what to what I'm used to, and I don't assume ever that that is going to continue. So well, that's in that sense, brilliant. no, I don't have a lot of pressure. It's brilliant to me that you've kind of controlled your own trajectory by creating a, a trilogy project for yourself and JT. So yeah. no matter what anyone says, you're going ahead. You're going to make three of these records. That's right. And you're working on a, is it a novel? It's a novel that is a novel memoir? A memoir. Memoir. A memoir. Not a novel, but a memoir. Sorry, I got that wrong. For some reason, I thought it was some semblance of both. I was trying to think of our last conversation. Well, it's interesting. You know, it's not, it definitely isn't a linear, um, there are, there are flights of fancy. Absolutely. In it. So yeah, you're not entirely wrong, but it's not, I would, I would not call it a novel. Yeah. Now you mentioned that you and JT. Biomythography maybe. That's what Audre Lorde called. uh, She wrote a really beautiful book that she called a biomythography rather than a memoir. And I thought there was something wonderful about that. Do you feel you're on the same train? Biomythography? Not, not in the same, no, not, not, not fully, but her freeness of expression is something that is inspiring to me. So I'm trying not to be too overly constrained in the way that I approach any writing lately. I'm trying to let, let myself explore and then edit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned you and JT had already uh, sort of determined what, I don't recall what word you use if it was theme, but what the returner was going to to be what what the point of it was if you will the purpose on some level can you home in on that like what was your plan for the returner in a broad sense this trilogy is past present future okay like in in the simplest i'm just i'm really you know i'm a sci-fi fantasy nerd i'm just hooked on trilogies and i love three i think three is a mystical magical number and there's something deeply satisfying to me about a three-part journey 
you know. So I see. Yeah. That mm-hmm. So science fiction nerd, a little bit of time travel here. Are you a fan of the Back to the Future trilogy? Let's start there. Of course. <laughs> Who isn't? Is, is there anyone that's like, oh, I hate that? And if they are, well, what's wrong with their spirit? <laughs> my my twelve year old son is critical of one of the films, and I believe it's okay. I believe it's uh, there seems to be consensus that part two may be the weakest. What do you think? Yeah, definitely the weakest. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, but even in that, I enjoy it. It's been so Ida's nine now, my daughter, yeah. and it's been so much fun watching things with her. You know, for her for the first time, and for us to get to kind of vicariously you know experience through her her eyes this it's just so much fun so she's a big fan of back to the future i think you and i are uh, reflect around the same generation it's amazing how many of us uh, associate time travel with that particular franchise like that's my main i know there's been brilliant books written about it classic literature but for some reason it's that it's sort of strange isn't it so iconic, though. So iconic. And Michael, young Michael J. Fox, our Canadian hero yes. at his finest. And, you know, just, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I... It's an iconic film. It really, especially the, the first one is just, it, it really stands up. And it's interesting because so many films from that era are quite cringy now when you watch them. Like, I remember, I had never seen The Goonies. And everyone was like, you got to see The Goonies. You gotta see. And then I, w- I found it unwatchable. Yes. Because it was so uncomfortable like yeah. the the these awful racist make mocking disabilities like everything about it i was just like the misogyny the the casual date rape that's supposed to be funny like all of it was just horrifying to me you know and i, I understand that it's a product of a certain time before we were having certain conversations yeah but there are films that from that era that can like stand up a bit more and others that really can't you know and yeah. to me that was like the Goonies, and it was it was funny because JT had these fond memories, and he rewatched it with me, and he was horrified. <laughs> he was also horrified. Yeah, we have a family movie night here every Friday, and my wife tends to pick. No offense to her if she hears this, but she tends to pick those movies. She picked The Goonies, and I was like, it wasn't really that big for me, but okay, because I had friends who were obsessed with that movie. Obsessed, and, yeah. I had never seen it. I had never seen it till adulthood, and it did not age well. No, it, did. it didn't. It didn't, yeah. and I don't think my kids liked it much either. Anyway, it's a bit of a digression. It's just yeah. fascinating that you're uh, talking about uh, time here. You say you're on a round of uh, uh, press right now, and uh, I don't mean to, uh, you know, we're doing a thing right now. I don't want to get too meta, yeah. but sometimes yeah. as you're doing uh, interviews, in the best case scenario, you'll learn a little something about the record that you're talking about or the project. Are you, have you, have you had that yet? Are people saying things you're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's been really interesting just to hear. I love, I just, I, I'm always interested in the way th- that's the alchemy of, of music, you know, where it might mean a song might mean one thing to me when I first write it, it might mean another thing when I record it and it might mean an entirely other thing and it will mean entirely other things to the people that choose to, um, to let it into their hearts or listen to it or have anything to do with it at all. Right. Yeah. And, and that is always fascinating to me. And so, yeah, there have been some very interesting observations and insights um, from some of the folks that I've been talking to. And I'm just, it's it, what is thrilling to me is that anyone takes the time to sit for 45 minutes and listen to my piece of art that, you know, that we've all, all those of us who, who sort of conjured it together have, 
have did so joyfully, but also agonized over and you, and you fret about the song order. And of course, most people will never listen to it in its order. And so the fact that, you know, that folks like you have taken that journey and everyone that I've been talking to who's interviewing me have taken that journey. I'm really grateful for it because I don't, that's not a given, yeah. right? Anything that took you by such surprise that you're reevaluating? Anything that you- Someone asked me if The Returner was a companion song to The Runner and like, like almost the response to it. And I thought, well, that's really astute. And I, I had not thought of it in the front of my mind that way before, but it yeah. certainly is not inaccurate. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you're picking up on, on little things. I, I just to give, I'm sort of jumping around here and I apologize, but for those who haven't uh, yet dug into the record, maybe we should talk a little bit more about how it, how you differentiate it from outside child. My initial thought is, well, this is way more upbeat. This is way more rhythm oriented. This is dancier. Um, it's celebratory, but still, I think, uh, empowering and all those sorts of things. Can you talk a little bit about how this connects uh, in the trilogy and to the previous record? Yeah, I think, well, you know, Outside Child was really concerning itself with reconciling the past, right? And, and reconciling the past through art, through finding chosen family, through growing into an artistic voice, through... Uh, imaginative, creative realism and escapism and all of those things. Whereas The Returner is very much, it's an embodied record. As you say, it's, it's more grooving. It's more um, back in, back in our bodies for better and for worse, but hopefully for better and leaning into the for better and community in the present tense. You know, that we started the album with springtime for a reason. It was like, this is the present tense. This is what's happening now. And it's not all sunshine and roses. And the joy that that is embodied is hard-won joy. It's survivor's joy. Returners are joyful survivors. We're all returners from something. None of us, again, you know, the, humans don't get to go through life without experiencing trauma. We Being born is traumatic. It's just, it's just part of what we navigate as as mortals on this planet you know and yeah. so and especially in these times when you know when we are cursed and blessed to live in interesting uh, and in this case especially south of our uh, 49th parallel reactionary and regressive in a lot of ways times that joy is resistance in and of itself too. You know, we, we, it's easy to say that and it's harder to embody and to live it. And, and I'm celebrating not just community in an abstract way, but my specific circle of sisters who've been uplifting me over the last two years since Outside Child was released. And we've been touring and we've been reinventing the Outside Child songs on stage and we've been working on the new ones and everything was written with them in mind, with these absolute brilliant genius goddesses in mind. So that's a very different thing too than where I was the place I was in when I was writing outside child even you know and 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 yeah. recording it we've grown this very very intentional circle of purpose and and to some degree empowerment of each other and of ourselves and so um it's really celebratory for it's sure celebratory I I okay I, I and I like I say I think this will be evident to anyone who pushes play uh, it's celebratory and that it moves you. Literally, your body will move. Um, and that's, that's yeah. interesting because <laughs> I think outside child, I was moved in a slightly different way. I was moved emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, as I ponder the two records, I, I have kind of a, I don't know if this is a strange observation or not. You tell me. 
It's a good thing you're here, Allison. You can tell me. Um, <laughs> it seems to me that outside outside child, it's obviously about it was about your past, but I think you were also connecting your your suffering, your experiences with a lineage of such suffering and such experiences that it was part of a pattern, if you will, a disturbing pattern. As I listen to this record, The Returner, I can't help but wonder if it's a bit more universal on some level. I, I think it's still a very personal batch of songs. But like you say, you referenced community there. You mentioned uh, the, the the sisters you were singing directly to, the goddesses you were singing to. That's a little more outreach. And not That's just singing to, like, writing isn't... for. They, like, there's 16 women on yeah. this record. I was writing it for them yes. to play. Yes. You know, like literally. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 So to the premise of my question, is there any chance the returner is a little more universal than outside child? I know it might be hard for you to see them as that I don't know separate, if I but can, do you know where I'm coming from? I do. I don't know if I can answer that. I think that is answered by how people feel about it and if they feel that they that it speaks to them and if they... You know, that that remains to be seen if it's universal or not, you know. I'm glad you feel it to be so. I think that's yeah, a hopeful in your, sign. <laughs> well, <laughs> in your writing, uh, uh, this batch of songs, do you feel like you were drawing from as much personal experience as you had on the previous record? I, I think I'm always, it's both, you know. It's it's always, when I yeah. write, it's always, it always feels very personal, but humans share lots of experiences, you know, including sadly the experiences I wrote about on outside child. I'm hardly alone in that either. You know, I wish I was. Fascinatingly, there are many references to you. You speak to children a lot. I feel like on this record in in French and in English and Um, to our own. So you are, which are always present, you know, it's, it's children in the, in the, in the literal sense, but also in the metaphorical sense, like we are all still little babies inside. You know, really huh. are. That's a fascinating way of looking at it. Do you? I mean, have you reconciled uh, your inner? Ch- is this is I, this is becoming a therapy session? Have you? <laughs> have you? Have you? Since the release of the last record, and then pondering uh, this batch of songs, are you any closer to reconciling your inner child with who you are now? Kind of, I, I, because I know that was a big thing. I mean, literally, I the record I'm, was called "Outside Child." Yeah, I think I'm more loving of my own of my inner child now since since outside child was released hopefully i don't know that we are ever fully reconciled about anything yeah. as early i never feel fully reconciled about anything in my life it's always yeah. it, i feel like it's always it's a, it's a daily navigation and some days are easier than others you know and some days are harder i feel i feel that in your work and i also feel that your work helps you in that process is that a fair way of looking at very it very yeah. much yeah the, the, i mean i am a compul- this is compulsive for me and it's also uh, life sustaining for me in, in every way. You know, I'm, I can't, there's no, there's no stopping for me. <laughs> this, this is what I'm going to do till I die. <laughs> you know? so, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the notion of bringing in more people, more voices, 16 women, you say, I look at the credit list. Uh, there's a lot of people here. Um, 
that was a conscious decision, obviously. Uh, were there key collaborators here that you want to talk about in terms of what they brought to you and your songs? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, of course, JT Nero and Drew Lindsay Dimstar, you know, we co-wrote and co-produced the record. Larissa Maestro, Sister Strings, very important collaborator. I mean, everyone, all of them. But Larissa Maestro and Sister Strings uh, wrote just astonishing string arrangements for the songs. And then I and elevated everything. Wendy and Lisa have become our our big sisters, our mentors. We love them. They we, Wendy started a, a text thread with all of us called Volvatron. <laughs> there was a moment in the studio where she looked around uh, with tears in her eyes and was like, "I've never in all these years been in a room with this many na- with this many dames making such a joyful noise, you know." And so I'll never. I'll never forget that moment. Um, you know, we were, it was 16 of us women from the ages of 22 to 62, just in complete open creative communion collaboration, which requires a lot of trust and vulnerability, but we were laughing and having the best time and the pottiest mouths and just the joyful, <laughs> you know, we recorded 10 songs in six days and that it was only possible because of the level, the caliber of musicianship of, open-mindedness, of inventiveness, of genius of each of those artists and women. Oh, that's lovely to hear. I mean, and are you, are you going to tour with all of these folks? You can't tour with all of these folks, can you? Well, can the, you tour the, with them? The beauty, uh, that, that's part of what was so special about all of us getting to be together. No, we don't always get to be together. Wendy and Lisa do a ton of film score work. You know, they're really busy in L.A. Maybe we'll see them on some of the dates of the tour. We'll see. Um, Larissa Maestro is touring full-time in Hosier's band. They're extraordinary. If you get the chance to go hear them, don't miss them. Just absolutely. They're coming to Toronto for something, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, gig soon. You go check them out. Larissa is extraordinary. And she's now touring full-time with Hosier um, and is, is just shines in his band. And um, Sister Strings are out on the road with Brandy Carlisle and Pink this very minute. I know they, I think they were in Toronto recently. They did some stadium in Toronto recently. Um, They did their Newport debut, just this Newport past. They're working on a new record. Joy Clark just got signed to Righteous Babe Records. Mandy Fair is touring around with her incredible band, Sway Wild. Meg McCormick just released an incredible solo record called R&B and is, you know, does the musical direction for Jenny Lewis's band is a producer that's highly in demand. You know, she comes out here and there with us. Everyone will, when we get to be anywhere near each other, we play and we find we find times to make work together. But everyone is really, really just in demand and on the go. So there's, it's a really special thing to that we all got to to have those six days together and record record this record. Elena Canlas is on the road with me a lot. Ganessa James. Elizabeth Pupa Walker, Meg Coleman, Victoria Bialik lives in Poland, so we don't get to play with her that often. Um, but when we do, it's very, very joyful. You know, everyone is just uh, such a consummate artist and such a multifaceted artist. No one is like a side player. Everybody's a writer. Everybody's a lead singer. Everybody's a multi-instrumentalist. Everybody is doing multiple projects. Everybody's a composer lots of the women are producers and musical directors so you know it's not a traditional band and there's no no one is a side player it's an ensemble it's a coalition you know we've been calling ourselves the rainbow coalition and that's really what it is it's a coalition we come in and out of each other's orbit 
and we're always stronger for having each other's back, whether we're physically in the same space or not. That's lovely. I'm amazed that you were able to remember all those names. I can't remember my kids' names half the time. That's they're my I people. Got they're my sisters. <laughs> you know. No, that's yeah. that. That is really uh, remarkable. I feel the joy uh, in the in the in the record as you're, and I can feel like all these people's uh, contributions to it. It's really remarkable in that regard. So I appreciate you sharing all that. And and speaking of a lot of names, one of the things that I wondered about because we were talking about Back to the Future earlier, it's going to seem like a weird segue. Are you a particular fan of the uh, the film The Sound of Music? You ever seen that? I'm obsessed with The Sound of Music. <laughs> <laughs> and I just watched that with Ida for the, my sister, Nikki, who lives in Toronto. Uh, we watched it over the holidays with Ida and it was so joyful. So well, much fun. Let's, all obsessed. I, I asked this for a purposeful reason. I think Allison probably knows why. We're going to get to it in just a second. You say you're obsessed with it. What is it about that film that you're obsessed with uh, exactly? The relationship with imagination, with art, with music that you can um, stand in your truth, that you can resist fascism, that you can be brave and that songs help make us brave and make help us become more ourselves and more our, our highest form of humanity. Uh, the joyfulness of the sequences of the kids with Maria dancing and singing and playing, the puppet scene, you know, the lonely goat herd, like all of the all of the parts of it. And the fact that it's a real story, that this was a family that resisted the Nazis and escaped and stood in their truth. And it was music that helped them do it. You know, obviously some contemporary resonance with that film that came out in the 60s, I think uh, you feel like it still resonates. Very much. Yeah. And especially, you know, in I've been living in Nashville for work and I'm raising my daughter there and it's taken the the gloves of fascism have been removed, you know, and we're in a, a real entrenched resistance to the attempt to topple democracy, really, in definitely in the state of Tennessee. I mean, gerrymandering and redistricting for years, the so-called supermajority in the people's house is really a super minority because only 32.7% of Tennesseans voted them in. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. so we're in a, we're in a real pitched battle to, and they're specifically attacking our queer community, trans community, black community, immigrant communities. You know, it's all like I'm a queer black immigrant mom raising a daughter in Tennessee right now. Women have lost bodily autonomy in that state. Um, we have women dying from ectopic pregnancies because even in that, even to save their lives, they can't get an abortion. You know, child that's been violated and finds themselves pregnant can't get an abortion. They're turning over medical records of anyone who identifies as trans to the government in Tennessee. It's really bad. It's a really, really bad state of affairs right now. But in a strange way, that gives me hope because it's so bad that even old school, you know, fiscal conservatives are going, what the heck is going on here? This is un-American. This is not democratic. This is fascist, you know. As we're speaking, I'm starting to think that, because for a long time, what I've been baffled by uh, in American politics is that the hypocrisy is not enough. Um, but it's starting to turn just a little bit, uh, I think just a little tiny bit. I will go on the record and, and generally say that I think the GOP Republicans are garbage people. 
Uh, and <laughs> I, I, that's just where I stand on it. I think we've made enough allowances. I, but I shouldn't say that. You're almost American now, Allison. Do you feel a little more American living in Nashville? I, I'm not American. I'm very much Canadian. But we in North America and globally are affected by everything yeah. that happens in America. Yeah. And I live there, right? So I'm a, I'm a permanent res. I have a green card, right? I'm, an immig- I'm a permanent resident, an immigrant there, but I'm not a citizen. So I can't vote. But my child is half American and half Canadian. Yeah. And I am very, very invested in not running from fascism. You know, I've had a lot of friends and family call and say, are you coming home yet? Are you coming home? And I actually feel an urgency to stay and fight yeah. because I need to model for my child that we don't run from fascists. We, we stop them. We fight them. We stand up for our community, you know, and we all have spheres of influence. You don't have to, you know, have millions of fall. Everyone has a sphere of influence, whether it's one person or a million, it doesn't matter how we, how we choose to use our influence and our words and our actions and our dollars and our votes, they, they all matter, you know? And I think it's such a, a threadbare thing when people trot out the, oh, don't get political, shut up and sing. It's like life is political. Everything you do is what you buy, what you eat, where you live, what you do, your access to, uh, to plenty or lack thereof. Like it's all, political quote unquote right everything we do everything we say whether we choose not to say something that's a political statement in and of itself the deafening silence from you know say the mainstream country industry is political you know they're not apolitical they're just they they punish anyone with progressive politics and they reward people with regressive politics yeah. Is what I would say. Yeah. Listen, I appreciate your conviction on it. Where I was going with that in terms of mentioning the hypocrisy is I think where people are starting to feel a little hopeless is that, um, you know, there's a rash of incidents in the in America where particularly GOP legislators and leaders, governors, whatnot, are expelling democratically voted, you know, members of whatever house, whatever body, they're just expelling them. They're they're countering the people's votes. That happened in Tennessee. Uh, you and they got back in resoundingly. Justin Jones resoundingly rewon yeah. his seat in the people's yeah. house. And we are so. I'm you know he's he's a friend and a neighbor, and I'm I I can't even what he faces every day going into that toxic environment. But he continues to fight for District 52 for the 70,000 plus people that that represents, right? That they tried to disenfranchise 70,000 people with, with Justin Pearson too. And Gloria Johnson, like 300,000 people and change, you know, I don't have the exact number, but they are representatives of the people that voted them in, in their districts, right? They're not like, they are there the same way. Well, actually, you know, they are there through having been elected despite gerrymandering, despite redistricting, despite all the bad acting attempts to counteract the will of the people and the the free flow of democracy in the state of Tennessee. It's miraculous, you know, I appreciate that we have them fighting for us. I exactly. appreciate that. And what I want to say is I think there's a slight glimmer where some conservatives and members of that party are starting to see that when other members of their party or, or representative people who represent their way of life and way of thinking are really projecting when they say democracy is broken when they say everything's corrupt 
it's starting to become clear that it's all projection. So as soon as one of them, now I think what's happening is as soon as one of them says, but her emails, but her, uh, there's foreign uh, election interference, there's foreign uh, favoritism. The knee jerk now is like, okay, that person must be doing, the person saying that has obviously done that. that. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a turn that I'm starting to see. Now, watch me magically bring this back to the sound of music. (laughs) <laughs> because you talked about what you appreciated about this film. And this is a film, about, among other things, about nationhood. It's not just about a family. It's about uh, standing up for what's right. and and But also knowing when to leave, I guess. It's sort of a conflation of what we've been discussing. There's a very famous scene in that film that I think most people know. Um, I mentioned how am- amazing it was, Allison. You knew all the names of the people <laughs> that you've been collaborating with. Very famous scene where it's kind of a roll call. In a sense, it's all the children are saying goodnight. And the song is, uh, I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't have it in front of me. So long, farewell, Avita Zayn, goodnight. And then there's a series of different rhymes. In springtime and also in the song The Returner, there is some allusion, I think, to this. So long, farewell, adieu, adieu. Uh, Later on, I believe, goodbye, goodbye, so long, farewell, I, I was right away because I've grown up with that film. I watch it probably once I a year. I love that you caught that. <laughs> Nobody else. Nobody else has drawn that parallel. <laughs> well, maybe you're dealing with some younger people. I don't know. Yeah. That scene in particular is really amazing. It's a remarkable scene of a, a family standing up for themselves, fooling the enemy and fighting back yeah. in a little bit way in joy. Oh, with like almost yeah. like comedy. So long, farewell, yeah. but seriously, see you later. Yeah, we're, we're actually getting out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> we're escaping I don't know if I, this regime. I don't know if I'm... And he's not going to fight for you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm reading yeah. into this. Was that... You've dialed into that as well. What was it about that particular scene and sequence that makes you allude to it a couple, at least a couple of times on this record? I don't even know that it was conscious, Vish. I think it's amazing. This is another example of you of like correctly noted (laughs) that but without me really consciously this is what i'm talking about when we write there's so many layers joe henry talks about this a lot you know when when people and i'm not i'm not i i need to find his exact quote because he's it's so much more eloquent than my horrible butchering of a paraphrase but he talks about that he doesn't know what he's writing about he writes to find out what he's writing about you know like that's the, the exploration and it's this and you discover new things often that you didn't even realize like points of resonance or layers or inferences that you didn't even really consciously think about, you know, but yeah, there's a connection there. In this instance, I will say, given that we're talking about a record, this part of a trajectory and you're talking about the present, I I assume I'll do my uh, English literature uh, reading of these lyrics. (laughs) You're saying goodbye to an old version of yourself on some level. It's not, yeah, and on some level, and a, and goodbye to a hope, and this is a hopeful thing in a sense, a goodbye to being trapped in a loop yeah. in one's own mind, right? And when we can, you know, our minds can liberate us or they can imprison us and sometimes both at the same time. And it's a constant navigation and process and it's a daily practice for me anyway to choose to remain present, you know, for my daughter, for yeah. myself, for my community. Right. So it's not hmm it's not totally jettisoning the past. No. It's 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 the you're saying you're <laughs> you're moving on, but that 
whole thing is still informing where you're moving to. Exactly. Is that a way of putting it? Absolutely. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Here's a weird segue. Can we talk about sex? Sure. Well, I, I just want to, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like you're a little more overt with the sexuality, perhaps, on the returner. Is that a fair general yes. assessment? And it's, it's celebratory because, you know, outside child talked about trauma of the past. And for me, trauma of the past was also sexual trauma. And yeah. part of reclamation and re-embodiment, this, the returner is very much re-embodiment. It's coming back into the body. It's choosing to come back into the body after surviving whatever traumas our bodies survive. And everybody, everybody's gone through trauma, whether it's just puberty, puberty's traumatic enough. You know, yeah. it's enough trauma for a lot of people <laughs> and without anyone interfering with it on top of that, you know. So it is about celebrating coming back into one's own body and 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 loving that and, and finding the people that love us and that we love and that we can do that consensually and joyfully with that's healing, you know? Yeah. Is it fun? So there's a song here called all without within. Mm-hmm. I'm just, so I'm just going to read a couple of the lyrics here. Um, I'll read the first two verses and forgive me. This, this is going to sound much better on the record. If you press play, <laughs> this is just me doing my best to read <laughs> these lyrics. Here, here we go. Ooh, put it in, feel the stinger in my skin Tell every bumblebee I'm back inside my body. That's verse one. Verse two. Ooh, what's happening? Now I feel what's happening. Every cut, every kiss, all without, within. That is the whitest interpretation somehow. I I did the worst. I'm just saying. I just wanted to put it out there so people knew what I was talking about. Well, my question, is it fun to write lyrics of such a sensual nature? Is it like joyful for you? Is it yes. like, I mean, is it funny? Like, are you, are you cracking yourself that, up? That is definitely tongue in cheek. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but it, so it's, it is fun and it's funny, but there's yeah. a purpose to it. Uh, it, does it ever get too, you're like, uh, this is too Randy. I'm getting a little too whatever. No. No. I mean, I'm not, I'm not very risque. It's not, it's not WAP, you know? Like, <laughs> Cardi B's got that on lock, man. And she's amazing, you know? <laughs> but like, I, you know, it's, it's much, it's just, it's, it's playful. It's definitely an homage. That track in particular is an homage to Prince as well and to the, yes. you know, Wendy and Lisa singing, uh, you know, the kerosene licorice part with me was one of the most joyful, surreal moments of all. They didn't want to sing, you know, they were initially like, we're just going to play. We're not going to sing. You know, you have all these singers. You don't need us to sing. And I, JT and I begged them, like, please sing this part. <laughs> and they did. And it was, I have wonderful footage of the two of them, like, cracking up and singing it together in the room, like, after we'd all recorded. Just, anyway, it's just joyful. But kerosene, licorice, low moan, and the bliss. <laughs> Give me that, all those gifts. You know, the, the, them singing that with me was just like, oh, it's just so thrilling. But to me, you know, it's the last part of that song in a way that's almost like the, I don't know, the. it's playful at the beginning, but there's a kind of, there's an acknowledgement of the transcendence of the holiness of loving someone in every possible way, you know, just spiritually, emotionally, physically, wor- worshiping of one another's beings, including the body, you know. Yeah, I think you're alluding to you're my love that loves to love. I'm the one yeah. you chose, you chose. You're my song of song of songs. I'm yours, I'm yours, I'm yours, etc. So that it's a very devotional song. Devotional. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that's and lovely. It also talks about the transformative. You know, there's there's an alchemy to to a, that kind of a deep love that lasts over many many years. And you know, I love the smell of rain on dead leaves. Your arms around me when I'm angry. You soothe every savage beast. Love or lay your weight down on me. You know, turn spin my straw up into gold, weave my water into wine, make my wine into hot blood, turn my bones back into brine. Yeah. Till every moth and moon and mover, every hornet fly and flower. And this, you know, it's it's very much like and I'm drawing from things like I mean, read the Psalm of Psalms, read like the but the King David, that that is really like and I'm not a religious person, but I've read the Bible because it informs so much of the Western canon of literature, you know, and as a book nerd and a word nerd. I went down those rabbit holes and um, there's so much that is incredibly sensual, sexual, devotional in, in the Psalms, you know? It's funny you invoke the Bible. It's not funny. It's germane that you invoke the Bible because between demons and Eve was black in particular, I wondered uh, if you had done some sort of particular academic study of some of these texts and these tracks that guide so many people in their lives. Um, was the Bible not, I, I appreciate what you're saying that you're not a particularly religious person, but was studying what some people view as the, their guideline in life um, to make decisions. Was that something I, you actually I, embarked I on? Into studying the Bible when I was studying slavery mm-hmm. and the fact that the Southern Baptist church upheld it as being God given as that that Ham, because he looked on his father Noah's nakedness, was burned black by the sun, and that he, and that all of the descendants of Ham were meant to serve all other humans for the rest of time. These absurd, you know, like when you read the Bible, what the, what I notice the most is the choppiness of the editing and how clear power struggles within the power structure of Catholic Church, of Protestant Church, of all the various sects that wrote and rewrote and misquoted and mistranslated and you know like the virgin mary that's a mistranslation in the original uh aramaic text it's the young woman mary she she wasn't even a virgin in the original text right. you know what i mean huh. so, and then this becomes a part of it like, like entrenched in the mythology and it gets interwoven with ancient goddess worship of millennia before you know the sort of the, the christianizing of 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 the formerly pagan mostly goddess-based religions of Europe. And, you know, there's just so many layers of history that we find between the lines and in the edits and in what was redacted. The fact that the Gnostic Gospels are not even, not the Gospel of Mary isn't even acknowledged, you know, on outside. And, and that's, I mean, that, yes, I have, I have gone down that rabbit hole more as a, a scholar of history, of a, a self-appointed scholar. I'm, again, not... Um, you know, I'm under horribly undereducated. I'm not a, a university graduate. I just am a I'm a book nerd, you know, and I, I I go down my own rabbit holes of research. And because the Bible has been wielded as such a weapon against the black community, against the queer community, it behooved me to learn and to study it so that I could know in my own mind a what was actually written there and when and what version and who changed it and why. And, you know, so I'm really been fascinated for, I, I stumbled upon transcripts of the, the Gnostic gospels and all of the, the sort of the ancient texts that were found in the Nag Hammadi library in the, in the forties, that is such a treasure trove. And I, I stumbled upon that when I was 16, 
in particular, a poem, a kind of ecstatic poem from that era called uh, Thunder of the Perfect Mind. And that was N- Nightflyer is very much influenced by that by that right. poem, which has a female narrator who is kind of this divine embodying of contradictions um, voice, really distinct and interesting and unusual. And I got sort of obsessed from there. And it is still fascinating to me. And the degree to which people in an, in an attempt to have a sense of security uh, rigidly adhere to these contradictory texts that have clearly been chopped up and edited over time and not for any kind of transcendent spiritual godly reason, but simply power grasps of various popes, sects, times in the church, you know, and the power structure of religion is so far from spirituality. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're literally digging up babies by the thousands, indigenous children by the thousands in our own country. Everything that Sinead said about the Catholic church was correct. You know, we know this yeah. now. We know how widespread the abuse, not just abuse, but genocide, murder is and has been. And there is not one bit of of a thought of reparation on the part of that ongoing power structure, you know. So it's troubling, to say the least. To say the least. I appreciate uh, everything you just said and um, the knowledge you're bringing to this subject matter. Um, you said something that, struck me earlier uh, about um, how in your research you discovered that in early descriptions, Mary was a young woman. Uh, the young woman, Mary. Yeah, not virgin. The word was mistranslated. For the, I mean, there's, you can go deep on this. There's so many, and I am just a, a lay person scratching the surface, right? Yeah. But there are fascinating deep dives into, you know, the the mistranslations that affect whole religions, whole perceptions of of women, of you know, all of these things. So well the yeah. reason I, I I um struck upon that in particular is again in terms of contemporary resonance, in your studies, do you have any or or rather because of your studies, do you have any insight as to why so much evangelical Christians or hard right Christians, if you will, are so focused on sexualization? I mean that's when you're talking about what's going on in Nashville among the groups that are being uh, attacked, there's often some semblance of sexuality involved, whether it's transgender people, LGBTQ people, whoever, like everyone. It's There's always like a hyper-sexualization of issues even, let alone people. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in your studies, and I know we're not experts here, so let's forgive ourselves right away, but that, well, that I think that's... Evangelicals are intensely repressed people. Yeah. Right. Like they have been raised in in such intense repression that that twists on itself. Right. When someone is told that their normal sexual curiosity and, and, and exploration, whatever their orientation is, whatever their gender is, it is absolutely a, a human and and all primate trait to be sexually curious. Like that is just, it's our little monkey brains. Like we've just always been that way and we always will be. Well, you know but, I mean? but every week. We're curious and we're exploratory yeah. and we reproduce sexually. Yes. So it's part of our survival as well, you know. I can tell like, you that every week uh, there's some news 
about a pastor or some sort of priest、uh, being busted for sexual abuse or exploitation.、Yeah. And a running joke on one of the social media platforms is keeping a tally of that each year now. So in 2023, 23、uh, religious people have been accused of sexual abuse. How many drag queens? Zero. Zero. So zero. So the fact that, but that is the major point in these right wing people of these people are grooming our children. These people are committing some、it's、sort of projection thing that you're talking. I about guess that's what it、again. is. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's very sorry. I, I don't mean to take us down this road necessarily, but I feel like it's all swimming around a little bit. Sorry, I should ask you because we've talked about this record in relation to you. Uh, I, I've talked a little bit about、um, where I feel like it's has some contemporary resonance. News cycles, the modern world. This is all informing these songs on some level. Fair enough. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, I live in the world. I live in this time. We all do. You know, we're all being affected all the time. But in that swirl of studying. Do you、yeah. see this all as just weird, vicious cycles continuing? I feel like that's the case. It cycles continuing. I'm actually hopeful though because we are we are further along towards breaking them. I think than at any other point in human history. Yeah, and that's part of why there's such an intense reactionary backlash right now because we are really evolving and changing. The fact that we have such a strong sense of human rights now—that's very, very new in our human history.、Yeah. Very new. You know, and I think it's easy for us to forget that, and it's easy to feel like this is the worst it's ever been because,、uh, in that sort of Marshall McLuhan way of the medium's message, the constantness, the twenty-four hourness, the like, your phone bings and it's some horrific thing that you watch over and over on a loop. You know, we 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 are aware of how many awful things are happening everywhere at at any given time in a way that was impossible for our ancestors to be aware of because they didn't have the internet and they didn't have. TikTok, and they didn't have Instagram Live showing police curb stomping another black person, and they did not. You know what I mean? It was like all of it is in our faces now, constantly, right?、Yeah. And it's very difficult. Like the kind of we're all sort of held hostage by our smart devices. It's very difficult for us to stop stroking them and looking at them and just put them down and put them away, right? It's really hard. And so then we get this because of the negativity bias in our brains and in our algorithms. Then we have this panicked sensation of it's worse than it's ever been.、Right? Yeah. As if we zoom out and look at the look at the long arc of human history so far, we are still, despite all of the malfunction and, and purposeful disformation and bad acting and resurgence of yes, you're correct, the cyclical resurgence of fascism. E- even with all of that, we're still in. The most peaceful and plentiful time in human history, right?、Yeah. So that's hard to reconcile. And and by no means am I saying we're good. I mean we have further to go, but we know that in a much more present way. I think a critical mass of us、um, in a way that is unprecedented in our history.、Yeah. So that is hopeful to me. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about the the makeup of、uh, the musicians on this record.、Uh, earlier, you were alluding to Prince. Um, for that for that song that I I think I did the best version of ever. I mean I I, <laughs> I, I think I think that's <laughs> I'm gonna remix it. I'm gonna remix it, Mish. <laughs> Put it in. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's embarrassing. My point. My, my point. It's absolutely awesome. Are there any other like I I I think it's a really dynamic record. 
um, sonically, musically. There, there was an instance where, and I'm forgive me, I my wife and I were listening to it. And I didn't have the track listing in front of me, but at one point we were like, this kind of reminds us of like uh, Donna Summer or something. Were mm-hmm. you paying particular homage to uh, Beyond Prince for that you whom you've cited? Do you think you were paying particular homage to particular artist or African American or African Canadian uh, musical expression in some um, way? I mean, definitely. I, I feel like it. I was listening to a ton of Roberta Flack. I was listening yeah. to young Mavis Staples, just like R&B queening, you know, which I had, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with Mavis. I'm obsessed with Roberta Flack. I love Minnie Ripperton. I've gone on a Minnie Ripperton kick, you know, that she blows my mind just, but yes, I mean, all of those influences, it's very hard to know, you know, what the quiet fire, that record in particular, Roberta Flack's Quiet Fire record, I got really obsessed with. Okay. Sort of as as I was finishing the songs for, where well, it was we were finishing the songs for, for the Returner, and yeah, so I think that that all is, is woven into it, you know. I really appreciate your reverence for the past and your lack of fear about the past, given your past. I appreciate you. I appreciate, I appreciate you too. <laughs> I do. I just want to say that as we begin yeah. to wrap up here. Uh, speaking of which, um, I earlier I alluded to a, uh, a couple of projects that I know are forthcoming. One is the book. You've mentioned that we're in trilogy mode here. So it stands yeah. to reason there's another record uh, coming at some point. Can you give us a little update on these projects and anything else you're working on? Yeah, well, the book, I'm, I'm behind deadline, of course, because this year just went so, well, the last two years have been so wild, but this year went particularly wild, uh, for touring and outward facing work. But I'm very excited about where I'm, I'm almost done my, the draft, uh, the final draft. So I'm, I'm excited about the next steps with that. I think it will probably come out, um, hopefully first quarter of 2024, the, the book. The next record, I have a really big vision for it, and I don't want to talk about it yet or jinx it, (laughs) but it's going to require an even bigger coalition of people to help me do it, so the way I want to do it, and it will have a geographic component, I will say that, as well as as a coalition component. I think I'm picking up on the hints you're dropping here, and and (laughs) given what I know about you and your love of Back to the Future... The third album is going to take place in the Old West. 100%. Nothing but train songs. Is that what we're... No, no, that's not it. Okay, I, I took a stab in the it's dark. It's a good guess, though. It's a good guess. I can definitively say that's not it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I, I Sometimes I pull myself oh, that might there. be. That might still be something I do one day. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of uh, amazing things you've done, though, uh, I'd be remiss, and I feel silly for not bringing this up earlier, but I was trying to stay on topic as much as I possibly can. Joni Mitchell. Tell uh, tell me about tell for those who don't know, you've had some more than one, I think, interactions with Joni Mitchell. Is that correct yes, in the last little while? Yes, I've been very lucky. My beautiful sister Brandy Carlisle has been uh, rallying these wonderful sessions around Joni. Joni loves having people come to her house, play music. She's a party animal. She likes to stay up late and play songs and have some wine. And Brandy, over the last few years, and and, and a whole circle of folks, including uh, Lucius and Marcus Mumford and Wendy and Lisa and um, and me now, uh, have been 
rallying uh, around Joni and just jamming, jamming her songs. Celise, oh my gosh, Celise's rendition of Help Me is just incredible. Sarah McLaughlin did an incredible version of Blue for Joni. Annie Lennox did Ladies of the Canyon for Joni. I mean, just, so it started, my involvement started last year when, jo- when Brandy invited me to be part of the Joni Jam at Newport Folk Festival. And it was a surprise. No one knew she was coming. And it was just a transcendent, utterly glorious set. And I played clarinet and sang harmonies because Joni loves woodwinds. And the reason oh, I play clarinet, I mean, this, this was really full circle for me because the reason I remember the first time I heard the clarinet and it was, we were at my grandma's house. I don't think I, I wasn't even two years old. My mom was playing the piano at my grandma's house. I was hiding under the piano, watching her feet under the, on the pedals, you know, playing. She was playing along to her favorite record at the time, Joni Mitchell's Ladies of the Canyon. And there's a deeper cut on that record, a song called For Free. And at the end of that song, there's a clarinet solo. And the song is about... Joni as this, you know, this big star at the time, seeing this beautiful busker on the street, a man playing clarinet and thinking what a shame it was that people were just passing him by because he hadn't been on their TV and he wasn't famous, but that he was just giving the world this glorious music for free and that she meant to go over and ask for a song. Maybe put on a harmony, but I heard his refrain as the signal changed. He was playing real good for free. And then at the end, you hear this clarinet solo. And I remember that that imprinted on me. I was, I remember holding my breath, listening to that sound. And I then later got obsessed with Benny Goodman, Sidney Bechet, Eric Dolphy. But my first time hearing the clarinet was because of Joni Mitchell on, on For Free. Wow. And then I end up on stage with her playing clarinet and singing. I mean, just how <laughs> surreal. And then at the Gorge, so we, it, she loved it so much, her return to Newport. And she was so galvanized by it that she wanted to do another concert. She decided she wanted to do a headlining show. And so Brandy said, you got it. Where do you want to do it? And Joni said, The Gorge. She hadn't been there for since she was there in the 70s with Van Morrison and, and Bob Dylan. And she headlined The Gorge. She sold it out in like 10 minutes flat, 20,000 plus people. And it was just absolute heaven. And I'll, I'll never forget, we showed up to rehearsal and there, I was sitting on, you know, we set up the stage like it's her living room. So Joni feels really comfortable and at ease. And she and Brandy sit in these gorgeous brocade kind of throne light chairs. And the rest of us are on couches surrounding them in a circle, like a, just a loving circle. And, and I was sitting right behind on a, this velvet couch, sort of behind and between them. And during rehearsal, Brandy says, if you don't mind, I think I'm going to sit Annie and Sarah with you. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. And I assume these are friends of Joni's, you know, because it's not just the musicians on stage. It's some of Joni's, you know, dear friends and, and caregivers like Marcy. And, you know, so I'm thinking oh, these are some friends of Joni's that are going to come sit with me. Great. And out walks Annie Lennox and Sarah McLaughlin. And that's who's sitting with me, you know, just like Brandy worn a girl. Like, you know, like, but we had the most incredible loving and they are such kindred spirits and it, I mean Joni what can I say she just she transcends everything I wrote a poem actually after this latest show at the gorge and I, I will share it with you thank you so much Joni viva la old age we are fallen constellations we have come in from the cold we are stardust we are golden just as Joni Mitchell wrote we are everything and nothing Dancing through this fever dream, we are echoes of the canyon, silence of the space between. We are gone before the next breath, a holy circle endlessly. 
in every ending a beginning, in new beginning joy and grief. She has drunk the cup of kindness. She has found the child she lost, sent death from her bed unsated. She's the seeker who returns. Like hope, a thing with feathers, irrepressible, unfettered, her old broken wings are mended. She's caught the thermal of our love. Bright halcyon, she is soaring, sees the shadows of the clouds on 20,000 strong adoring by the river in the gorge. The illusions of the past, all that she has gained and lost. She is present, she is laughing, and she isn't looking back. So that's how I felt about it. Wow. <laughs> that's how I feel about Joni. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, thank you so much. That's remarkable. So most of what you've described so far are uh, live performances and jam sessions you mentioned that she's feeling energized do you have any sense if she's like you know what i got some stuff let's figure this out i've got some new i would not be surprised she started playing piano again she went back to her place on the sunshine coast and she's been jamming and you know we and so the the newport session actually is a record so i'm on a record with joni mitchell now because of that (laughs) because brandy invited me into that magic circle which is just like i'm still pinching myself, you know, like, how did this happen? But it came out um, actually right at the the one year anniversary at Newport this year. It's called uh, From Newport, I think. And it's, it's, it's this, a a recording of the set, the the initial surprise Joni jam that we did at Newport last year. And it's it's so beautiful. Joni just sounds exquisite on the record. Congratulations, but you deserve it. I'm so happy for you. And Mm -hmm. it's lovely. This Brandy Carlisle, character is someone I'd like to talk to sometime. They're oh, very- you got you would love each other. She's okay. such she's just I mean she's there's really no she's a really uniquely wondrous person because as great of an artist as she is, she's also as great of an advocate for other people and other artists and respecter of the you know of our elders in this craft in this life in the she's just exquisite she's an exquisite human being the work that she does the humanitarian work that she does through her looking out foundation making music mean more every day like she really is one of like a a a hero to me you know just and, and has become a dear friend and chosen sister but she i really look up to the way she conducts herself yeah through you know, in her business, in her life, and everything. Yeah. One of my regular gigs uh, was. I'm wearing her shirt right now. Oh, look at that! You are. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah. Okay. okay. You're rep. <laughs> you're repping Brandy. I will say quickly. One of my regular gigs is uh, I have to watch Saturday Night Live and review it. And I'll tell you this: uh, Brandy's been on, I think, twice now, and uh, on the show as a musical guest. One of the best musical guests I've ever seen. Just she's totally mesmerizing. I've gone on record saying that. So. I will figure yeah, something I out. I want to try to connect with this Brandy Carlisle because you're you're um, always I'll do anything I can to help y'all connect. You need to know each other. I appreciate that. No, she she's yeah. she seems wonderful. Okay. Listen, I'm mindful of the time you're on a press junket thing or whatever. You got lots of people to talk to. Uh real quick, uh, if people want to learn more about uh, you and this record, where would you like to kind of direct them on the internet? Yeah. They can you know, I have a website and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and all right. So there is no Twitter anymore. TikTok threads, you know, all that. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. so you know, it's just Allison Russell Okay. And they can yeah. find everything there. Yeah. 
And you got some tour, I assume. You're going to be touring. Huge. Yeah, we got a big yeah. tour. And we're going to announce the Canadian dates. There's 2024 Canadian dates to be a soon. So oh, amazing. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you'll come to Edmonton where I live. You maybe we will. Maybe we will. <laughs> okay. Now, if we can we're go totally out. Coming. Yeah. Oh, my God. Cat's yeah. out of the bag. I cannot wait. Okay, this is great. <laughs> don't tell anyone. <laughs> uh, no, don't worry. It's just between you and me. No one's listening. It's fine. Uh, I want to go out on a song. Uh, from this new record and if we can do that Alice can you choose one for us and maybe tell us why it came to mind yes I think I'm gonna pick Ragchild because it's a deeper cut on the record and I really it's for me it's one of it's one of my favorite songs on the record and I know it's one that won't get you know the same kind of attention that like singles will or opening tracks or closing tracks so I would love for people to hear Ragchild it's kind of a spell it is. I'm trying to figure out. Oh my god! Yeah, it's it's a heavy one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like a really heavy one. I don't know. It's so interesting. <laughs> I don't know what what you think of as heavy or why. So, <laughs> well, I think these, these. Anytime I see children or, or you know a song to a child, and and anytime there's blood and children yeah. in the same song, I'm like some. Okay, you know what? I don't want to spoil it. Let's just go. Let's just play it, and people can make up their own minds. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. This is Ragchild uh, from this excellent new record, The Returner, by Allison Russell. Allison, it's always lovely to chat with you. I, I really appreciate you uh, making time for me every time we talk. So thank you, and best luck in the future. Thank you so much, Vish. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Say
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. It is always really fun to encounter Allison Russell. I really enjoy uh, being able to spend this much time with her. We used to just cross paths at like music festivals and things. And sometimes I would introduce her and her band, and, and she would talk to me before and after, and that's how we would interact. And now we have the sh- I have the show. We have the show. You and me. <laughs> and Allison comes by and puts out these great records, and we have nice talks. So thanks again to Allison Russell for always making time for me and uh, coming back onto this show. In this case, this is the 799th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available just about wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find uh, an episode that you've you've heard about it, and people talk about it sometimes, but you don't know where it is, it's not on any of the uh, pod platforms you use for some reason, because maybe it's older, I don't know. Or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, everything you need in that regard should be at uh, vishkana.com. You can also like Creative Control on Facebook and follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative, or you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vishkana. And I'm slowly uh, on some of the other things like uh, Blue Sky and, and whatever else, uh, TikTok, uh, the show has a YouTube channel. I don't know. It's all over the place. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep the show going. $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content you get episodes earlier than everybody else uh and if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt just message me on patreon and i'll get you one while supplies last you don't necessarily have to donate six dollars a month to get perks uh or rather sorry you do have to do that to get the perks let me rephrase that you don't have to do six dollars if you don't want the perks you can do whatever amount you want you can do less but six dollars and above gets you perks and uh, does uh, go a long way to supporting this work so uh, I hope that's clear, but uh, whatever you can do, uh, check out uh, patreon.com slash creative control and uh, see if you can help the show. There's links in the show notes, too, if you want to just click on things. Speaking of links, I want to thank uh, Blackbird Music. You can learn more about them in the link in the show notes. Uh, and if you don't want to click on that, blackbird.ca uh, is the uh, website. You can order records like The Returner and other things. Just check out what they have. I also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, independent businesses who offer in-kind support for this show. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Jim Guthrie for lending me some music of his on the show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Allison Russell. I hope you'll check out The Returner and see her live if you can. She's wonderful. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and 
spread the word about it if you can and tell your friends about it, you know, that kind of thing. Otherwise, I will talk to you very soon. I hope you're well. Bye for now.